It's been about a year since last time we did an extra on GameCube games, so what better place to re-familiarize ourselves than one of Nintendo's own offerings, which also happens to be the best-selling GameCube game ever, Super Smash Bros. Melee. The game had an impressive amount of content for the time, and a lot of material had to be altered between different regional releases. This not only led to mistakes, but also some use of artistic license. The name behind the Poker Float stage was itself born out of the localization process. The Japanese version of Melee refers to the stage as Pokemon Subspace, and the Pokemon are not implied to be balloons at all. Subspace was used in other Nintendo games like Super Mario Bros. 2 to mean a world that exists in an alternate dimension, usually with different rules. So the idea of the Pokemon being balloons was something that was completely made up by the game's English localization team, and wasn't the original intention. As an interesting aside, most of the Pokemon in the stage are ones that can actually be summoned through the Pokeball item in Melee, with the exception of one key Pokemon, Onyx. It's unknown if Onyx was originally planned to be summonable in Melee, but it's worth pointing out that Onyx was summonable in Smash on the N64. Another notable stage name change that occurred during Melee's localization was the unlockable Mario 64 base stage called Rainbow Ride. The Japanese title is Rainbow Cruise, as the stage is closer to the ground than the stage it references from Super Mario 64. While the Rainbow Ride title would go on to be used in the North American release of Melee, the title Rainbow Cruise was used in the PAL version, leading to differences across the regions. The name would be contested again in Brawl, but notably, all English versions of Ultimate use Rainbow Cruise across all regions, thus cementing the US version of the title as the stage's official name in English. One GameCube game that saw significant changes from its inception was one of the system's fan favorites, Luigi's Mansion. Although we've spoken about this game a handful of times before, there's some secrets we've yet to discuss. In an interview with Luigi's Mansion director Hideki Kono, Kono described some aspects of the game's original direction. The game was originally going to be set around a big house or even apartment complex, but this was switched up and the setting became something like a dollhouse. The team started experimenting with Mario characters being on a TV set using a dollhouse backdrop, and eventually shifted the focus onto Luigi. There was an idea to set the game within a ninja mansion or Japanese-style house, but the team ultimately decided to settle on a European-style building, which was also reminiscent of some older mansions in the United States. There were also prairie and desert areas in the game when it was using a generic Mario theme, but these were cut when the mansion idea took hold. As soon as the mansion concept was decided, the blueprint of the house, a three-story structure with a basement, was already set in stone, and the design conversation became about how to keep the mansion varied. The team put a huge staircase in the lobby, a bathroom on each floor, a training room, and and a music room, all to make sure the mansion had a western feel. Another idea that was cut was for an underground cave to extend the geographical environment. And the game even had an RPG-inspired system which upgraded stages after certain actions. But this was cut so that the team could focus on the vacuum mechanics. Another beloved Mario game on the cube is Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. And again, we briefly covered some of the game's out-of-bounds secrets in a Paper Mario video we did not too long ago, but we neglected to mention quite an interesting off-screen tidbit. It seems that within Thousand Year Door, for some unseen reason, Mario, Peach, and Bowser have crucial code attached to them that the game needs to have loaded at all times. So much so, that if a scene in the game doesn't have one of these characters present, it will break. 
The title's designers circumvent this limitation by having Mario, Peach, or Bowser out of the camera's view if they aren't actively taking part in the scene. This is even true of the game's introduction, where Mario can be found by pulling the camera back to about 20% zoom. The same can be said for the scenes of Sir Grodus talking to his henchmen, where Peach will be about the same distance out of shot to the south. Yet another GameCube Mario title that has some interesting secrets is Mario Golf Toadstool Tour. This is one of the few Mario games that actually released in North America before Japan, meaning the Japanese version of the game has a fair amount of improvements over the Western release. In Japan, the game is known as Mario Golf Family Tour and features many small changes that you might expect, such as measuring putting distances and wind speed in meters and meters per second instead of feet and miles per hour. There are also several font changes, and the colors were tweaked for messages like nice shot and excellent. The most significant improvement, however, was a coding overhaul on how things in the game are processed. CPU characters calculate their shots a lot faster than in the American release, and cycle through clubs faster as well. Various menu transitions also move much more quickly. A few oversights were also corrected from the American release, such as the hole-in-ones on par 4 and par 5 holes being mistakenly announced as an albatross. For some reason, the method of unlocking the ace-level CPU player difficulty was made different in every region. In the original American release, it's unlocked by beating every star tournament a single time with every non-star character. This meant that players had to win 102 star tournaments, which was honestly a bit too much work for the reward. In Japan, all the player had to do was beat Bowser in his character match. And in Europe, players just had to win the Bowser Star Championship. One more GameCube gem that has what you might call unnecessary regional changes is Baton Kaitos, Eternal Wings and the Lost Ocean. Baton Kaitos has a unique setting and a fairly unique combat system to boot. It utilizes a turn-based, card-based system that uses magical cards known as Magnus, which absorb the essence of real-world objects. These cards containing items and objects can then be used in battle. Interestingly, 28 of the cards are changed in the international release, likely to make the purpose of the cards more clear to Westerners. And although some make perfect sense, like swapping out obscure Japanese dumplings for shish kebab, some seem a bit pointless. One that stands out the most to us is swapping out edamame beans for peanuts, instead of just renaming the card beans from one turn-based RPG to another. Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness was a hit amongst fans, but is scarcely talked about these days, likely due to its releasing towards the end of the GameCube's lifespan. This is a shame, because as well as being a great game, it has a decent amount of interesting tidbits. When players start their adventure in Pokemon XD, they set out with just a level 10 Eevee. However, there is evidence in the code that this isn't always what the developers had planned. Using action replay codes, it's possible to swap out the level 5 Eevee for two starter Pokemon, a level 26 Jolteon and a level 30 Vaporeon, which are within the game's code. This would have lined up quite well with Pokemon Colosseum, where players started out with a level 25 Espeon and a level 26 Umbreon. This also has other implications. Since these two starters are nearly 20 levels higher than Eevee, the levels of Pokemon throughout the entire game would have been proportionately higher as well. And that's not all. The game has another unused Pokemon of sorts. The Pokemon Bonsly was first introduced in XD as part of the game's story, but wasn't a truly playable Pokemon. However, Bonsly can be added to the player's party through hacking and will be fully functional. The only setback is that Bonsly can't evolve into Pseudo-Wudo, likely because it was never expected to be possible in the first place. 
Another game with a cult following for the cube is Animal Crossing. As you might recall, the title had a handful of emulated NES titles that could be played by obtaining in-game items, which are essentially NES consoles with unchangeable cartridges inside them. There's also a generic NES console item with no cartridge inside that can be purchased from Red. This item was originally thought to be unplayable and purely decorative, as it would display the message, I want to play my NES, but I don't have any software when the player interacted with it. However, it was recently discovered that this item actually scans the GameCube's memory card for special files that contain NES ROMs. Security researcher James Chambers found the unique feature while searching through Animal Crossing's code, messing around with the debug menus and seeing how various items function. Chambers experimented with the feature and was eventually able to use it to play Mega Man, Pinball, and Battletoads off his GameCube memory card through the in-game emulator. Although the function may simply be a leftover from testing, it's speculated by some that Nintendo were planning to use this feature to distribute NES games. Nintendo could have sold preloaded memory cards full of NES ROMs, or even given them away as prizes. There's actually some precedent for this, as Nintendo sold versions of Animal Crossing packaged with memory cards that unlocked unique items for players. And now for possibly the most cult title on our list, having sold fewer than an estimated 390,000 copies, it's Chibi-Robo. The game was originally being developed by Just Skip and not Nintendo, but it was still intended for a GameCube release. The game's storyline back then was different. You needed to train Chibi-Robo to get home and avoid the burglars that were after him. The gameplay was going to be similar to a point-and-click adventure. Early videos show Chibi-Robo in a lab of some sort, running around trying to collect batteries to raise his own internal battery. It seems that Chibi-Robo would have also been able to evolve itself, as we can see from robo-upgrades in one of the concept arts. There were also other beta activities like pushing things over, moving objects, and other ideas to get batteries and other things. However, after a few years, Skip gave up on the project. Nintendo, though, was still interested in the idea of the game and saved it from development hell by building on Skip's project. Nintendo reworked the engine into its current action-adventure style, gave it new environments and a new storyline. Did you know? There were over 100 games planned to release on the GameCube that were cancelled before seeing the light of day. Ever wondered what they were or why they were cancelled? In this video, we'll be covering all of them, with a few exceptions. Certain games will be left out, such as games that were rumored to exist but have no solid evidence backing them, such as Croc 3, and games that were announced for GameCube but released on rival platforms or next-gen platforms, such as Crash Twin Sanity or Super Paper Mario. Since we're talking GameCube, we'll start with a few of Nintendo's own scrapped projects. Kirby Tilt and Tumble 2 was first revealed at Space World 2001. It used a Game Boy Advance as a controller, with a special motion-sensing cartridge that let players tilt the controller to change Kirby's direction and speed. Outlets reported players could move between the TV and the GBA screen, and that Shigeru Miyamoto said players could write their own programs on the game cartridges, such as creating mini-games for themselves and their friends to play. In 2002, the game was rebranded as Rollerama with Kirby being removed altogether. Rollerama was showcased at E3 2002, but never released. But this wasn't the only Kirby game that ran into trouble, not by a long shot. Over the course of 11 years, there were three separate attempts to make a mainline Kirby game for the GameCube. The first was a 2.5D title with four-player gameplay. A reason for its cancellation wasn't given, though Shigefume Kawase, the producer of Kirby's Return to Dreamland, said the game was when he learned how difficult it is to make a game that is both multiplayer 
and single player. The second game would have been the Kirby series' first ever 3D platformer. It was cancelled because it hadn't reached the level of quality Nintendo wanted. The third game featured a 2D art style similar to a pop-up book and powered up versions of the copy abilities from previous games. Satoru Iwata, who once headed the studio involved in making these games, commented on the 11 years of development stating, Miyamoto says that video games are something you never really complete. It's hard when a game simply refuses to come together. All three games are collectively referred to by fans as Kirby GCN, Kirby Adventure, or Kirby Legend of the Stars. Though various elements from all three of these games found their way into Kirby's Return to Dreamland for the Wii and a few other titles, none of these projects received a true reworking into a new game. Rather, Nintendo considers Kirby's Return to Dreamland the successor to Kirby GCN. Another scrapped title was The Mysterious Marionette. This was an unusual Nintendo game accidentally announced alongside Super Mario Sunshine and the Mario 128 tech demo. Shortly after the erroneous listing was published, it was quietly taken down. Despite having Mario in the title and being listed alongside other Mario titles, Marionette wasn't a Mario game. As Miyamoto later told IGN, the game was about controlling a puppet. It aimed to be simple, but also complicated. Marionette had been in development for both the Nintendo 64 and the GameCube, but never got past its initial stages. Miyamoto later commented there was a possibility the game could resurface on the Wii, but it never appeared. Retro Studios, the team behind Metroid Prime, had a series of titles that were cancelled around the time they were first acquired by Nintendo. The game Action Adventure was one of the first projects Retro ever undertook. The game featured three female leads fighting evil in a post-apocalyptic planet set in the near future, with a sci-fi setting. Due to the concept, some have speculated aspects of this game were reworked into Metroid Prime. However, this speculation is unfounded. What Action Adventure did do, though, was give Nintendo enough confidence in Retro to let them handle the Metroid franchise. Once the Metroid license was in Retro's hands, the studio terminated the Action Adventure project. Thunder Rally Car Battle was a Retro Studios game described by IGN as a mix between Twisted Metal 2 and Mario Kart 64 set in a bleak Mad Max-like world. It was also known as Car Battle and Car Combat while being developed. Another was Retro Studios Football, also known as NFL Retro Football, which, believe it or not, was originally going to be a Mario football game. But Nintendo wanted Retro to make more mature titles, so the project became a realistic sports title before being scrapped entirely. And finally, there was Ray Ravenblade. Retro began work on Ravenblade in late 1999 as a role-playing game for the GameCube. It was first unveiled at E3 2001 with a full trailer. Ravenblade was a third-person action RPG set in an ancient world, featuring an epic quest involving the aforementioned magical weapon, the Ravenblade. In the end, all four of these games were cancelled so Retro could fully focus on Metroid. Metroid was Nintendo's top priority, so it became Retro Studios' top priority as well. Given there were rumors Nintendo was looking to buy out the company, Ravenblade may have also been cancelled as a show of commitment to Nintendo. If so, the gamble paid off, as Nintendo purchased $1 million of Retro Studios stock in 2002, making it the majority holder and officially making Retro Studios one of its subsidiaries. Retro weren't the only studio clamoring to make a game using Nintendo's IP. One pitch that never panned out was a sequel to Diddy Kong Racing. Around April 2004, Climax Studios pitched the potential sequel to Nintendo. The game, Diddy Kong Racing Adventures, would have seen Wiz Pig propose a rematch against Diddy and his friends, with his goal being to pave over a forest. The game would have taken the player through 16 different villages styled after characters from the Donkey Kong Country series. Each village would be controlled by a different villain who must be beaten in a race. Vehicles would have included buggies, quad bikes, planes, hover bikes, and jet skis, some of which could be upgraded to access new areas. But this wasn't the only attempt at a Diddy Kong Racing sequel. Donkey Kong
Kong Racing made its only appearance at E3 2001 with a trailer featuring Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong, Tiny Kong, Kitty Kong, and Taj the Genie as playable racers. While not in the trailer, Cranky and Lanky Kong were also shown in an internal render for the game. The overworld would have featured jungles, plains, and seas stitched together seamlessly just like Diddy Kong Racing. It also would have had four-player multiplayer, and animals from Donkey Kong Country would stand in for vehicles, each with a unique ability. Players could be knocked from their animal, triggering a button-mashing frenzy to get back onto it. The animal could also be upgraded through collectible fruits. During development of the game, Microsoft bought Rare, so Donkey Kong Racing was renamed Saberman Stampede. The game would star Rare's Saberman character and release on the original Xbox, then the Xbox 360 before being cancelled. This cancellation was due to cameo, elements of power being behind schedule. The Saberman team was relocated and the title was put on hold. In 2008, a video of the 360 prototype was posted on YouTube, showing that Saberman Stampede had evolved from a racer into an adventure game during its ill-fated development. Another popular franchise from Rare is the Conquer series. After Conquer's Bad Fur Day was released in early 2001, the developers started work on a sequel for the GameCube. The game was called Conquer's Other Bad Day and focused on Conquer's unsuccessful tenure as king. The plot saw Conquer spending all the kingdom's money on beer and hookers, with the first level featuring Conquer breaking out of jail for his crimes. The main villain was a massive space poo, the Cthulhu poo, and the game featured many parodies of the era's movies. There was even an evil doppelganger ganger of Conquer. After attempting to sell Rare to Nintendo in the early 2000s, the company was successfully sold to Microsoft in September 2002. Most of Rare's in-development games were moved to the Xbox. Unfortunately for Conquer's other bad day, Microsoft wasn't interested in a Conquer sequel. Instead, Microsoft had Rare remake the first Conquer game with a multiplayer mode, now known as Conquer Live and Reloaded. By the time Rare resumed work on Conquer's other bad day, the Xbox was reaching the end of its life cycle. Microsoft wanted Rare to move the game to the upcoming Xbox 360, but to Chris Seaver, the lead developer on the game, this was a bad move. In an interview with Eurogamer, Seaver remembers, I just couldn't face spending another two years on a game we'd already spent a year and a half on, so I guess the cancellation was probably my fault. Rare had also worked on a multiplayer-focused Conquer game titled Gettin' Medieval, which reused some assets from Conquer's Other Bad Day, and would also feature Greg the Grim Reaper as the protagonist. But those weren't the only projects designed by Seaver to get canned. The mixed fantasy MMO Quest allegedly started some time after Perfect Dark released on the Nintendo 64. It initially started being developed for the GameCube, but moved to Xbox after Microsoft's acquisition of Rare. By that time, the setting of Quest had transformed into a sci-fi MMO shooter. Development was slow, and Microsoft wanted Rare to focus more on its high-profile franchises like Perfect Dark and Conquer. Rare was restructured for that purpose, and Quest was put on hold. Then, after Perfect Dark Zero was released, the original fantasy MMO concept of the game came back into development, this time titled Cascade. But Cascade 2 was cancelled. This was due to the team focusing their work on GoldenEye 007 for the Xbox Live Arcade, a game that also never released. Although not developed by Rare, the next game is related to the studio. In 1998, former Rare developer Martin Hollis of GoldenEye and Perfect Dark fame founded his own studio, Zunami. One of their projects was Game Zero, also known as Project Z3796WP 
a GameCube exclusive developed in collaboration with Nintendo in 2000. Game Zero was never shown publicly, but that didn't stop rumors from spreading as soon as the deal was known. Due to Hollis's history, many assumed Game Zero would be another FPS. However, Hollis wanted to try something new. Game Zero was actually a sandbox platformer with destructible voxel levels. In it, a female protagonist mined an alien planet to craft new items and structures, and rescued characters from tightly packed Mario 64-like levels. The game has since been compared to Minecraft, and it's easy to see why. Game Zero's concept was truly ahead of its time, perhaps too far ahead. The destruction and recreation of the voxels used in the game as building blocks was too RAM-intensive for the GameCube, or even PCs to run it properly. Thus, after three years of work, Game Zero was quietly dropped. Another scrap Nintendo-related title came from developer Camelot. The project was in the planning stages as an unnamed RPG in early 2001. Originally, Camelot said they would work on a GameCube RPG as soon as they finished Golden Sun on the GBA. This led to years of rumors that a Golden Sun title would be made for the GameCube. Then, in 2005, a Camelot Help Wanted ad appeared in Famitsu Magazine, reading, Now seeking staff for development of an RPG targeting a next-generation system, leading some to believe the project was moved to the Wii. However, nothing ever seemed to come of it. Nintendo also struck a few deals with prominent third-party developers. The Capcom 5 were five GameCube exclusives meant to be developed and published by Capcom to show off the system's friendliness to third-party platforms. Dead Phoenix, ironically, is the only one that didn't make it. It was first revealed in November 2002, but was removed from Capcom's website after failing to appear at E3 2003. Despite this, rumors of its eventual release were common. IGN even hypothesized it was being remade into a Kid Icarus game, but Capcom has historically refused to comment on the possibility of reviving Dead Phoenix. Seeming to confirm its abandonment, the trademark for the game's name was listed as abandoned at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in 2004. This wasn't the only high-profile third-party game to be scrapped. Sega and Overworks were confirmed to be planning a sequel to Skies of Arcadia in June 2001, shortly after the original game was released. Sadly, the original Dreamcast game sold extremely poorly. Worried that the game would be a write-off, Sega tried to make PS2 and GameCube ports to make back some money. The GameCube port came out in 2002 and unfortunately also sold poorly. The PS2 port was ultimately dropped. Then in 2003, Overworks were absorbed into Sega WoW. A year later, the team was split even further by a company restructuring, scattering the Arcadia developers into different teams. A ray of hope came in March 2004 when it was acknowledged a Skies of Arcadia sequel was being planned. Then, the those hopes were crushed, as in late 2004, Arcadia's producer told German Maniac magazine the sequel was on hold. Nothing on Skies of Arcadia 2 has been announced to date. Another prominent developer, From Software, was also planning an RPG for the GameCube. Gold Star Mountain was a game about capturing, training, and battling monsters. The game's world design was reportedly inspired by Disneyland's various attractions. It was planned to be released in 2002 as a GameCube exclusive. Despite substantial work being done on the game, it was cancelled without explanation. There were many more games that were sad to say never came to fruition. Developed and planned to be published by Midway Games, Crank the Weasel was first revealed at E3 in May 2002. It appeared to be inspired by 1930s American cartoons, with an adult comedic edge in the vein of Conker's Bad Fur Day. Crank would steal things from people and trade them in at pawn shops for cash. He could turn gangs against one another as well, with the ultimate goal of taking over the entire city himself. Humorously, Crank could also rapidly bite and infect a character, which would unleash a frenzied chain reaction of animal biting across the entire level, all set to the tune of Benny Hill's famous theme. The game was intended to be released on GameCube, PS2, 
and Xbox. While it was cancelled in 2003, a prototype demo in its developer environment was leaked in 2017. Another studio with a cancelled GameCube offering is Acclaim Entertainment. Acclaim began work on a sequel to Turok Evolution sometime after the game's release in 2002. However, the project never truly got off the ground, with only small bits of concept art left to prove it ever existed. Acclaim went bankrupt in 2005, and with it vanished any chance of a direct sequel to Turok Evolution. The series didn't surface again until Propaganda Games released Turok in 2008 for the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and PC. iNinja 2, a sequel to the original iNinja action game, once entered development for the GameCube at Argonaut Games. It would have taken place in the same setting as the original game, one that mixed ancient Japan with futuristic robots. While Argonaut Games worked on the game for a few months, sadly, financial issues forced the studio to close down in 2004. The game was never officially announced, with only concept art finding its way to the public. In 2005, TKO Software were working on a sequel as well. A successor to the Miss Pac-Man game, Miss Pac-Man Maze Madness was in the works. Miss Pac-Man Maze Madness 2 was originally planned to release on PS2, Xbox, and GameCube. The project was cancelled, however, apparently because the market was perceived to be too saturated. A game that also faced marketing issues was Worms Battle Rally. This was a racing game featuring Worms characters and weapons from the main series. It was developed by Team 17 and planned to release on GameCube, PS2, and PC. The game was cancelled in 2003 despite being nearly finished, as the game's publisher wasn't happy with it. Team 17 instead developed Worms Forts Under Siege at that publisher's request. Upon completion of Worms Fort Under Siege, the publisher promptly cancelled that as well. Thankfully, Sega later picked up the rights for Under Siege and released it to the world. Some scrapped games had less of a pedigree. Developed by Warthog and announced in July 2004, Milo and the Rainbow Nasties went through a whirlwind before its cancellation. It was a cartoonish, colorful game with a plot similar to Super Mario Sunshine. The player would assume the role of Milo, who with his pet chameleon had to bring color back to a world whose color was eaten away by bugs. Originally developed for the GameCube, PS2, and Xbox, Milo and the Rainbow Nasties eventually became a Gizmodo exclusive. In 2006, the owners of Warthog, Tiger Telematics, went bankrupt, and the game was cancelled. There's one way to ensure your game has the funding to make it to market, and that's to create a licensed game. Still, licensed games tend to come with their own issues. Metallica Damage Inc. was a licensed Metallica game announced in June 2003, being developed by Climax Studios. Rather than a music or rhythm-based game, Damage Inc. would have been a car combat game. Players could customize and swap out their vehicles, and could even hijack and steal other cars. As part of the deal, Metallica planned to release a song exclusively for the game. Allegedly, due to licensing issues, publisher Vivendi Games was looking for a reason to cancel the project. In 2016, P2P Online released footage of the game that had never before been seen, giving us all a taste of what could have been. Speaking of leaked footage, video of a never-officially-announced South Park game surfaced in August of 2014 after being discovered on Xbox development kits. It was originally intended to be the first game to officially map out the entire town of South Park, and would have released on the GameCube and PS2 as well as the Xbox. All four main characters would have been playable, with certain side characters also planned to make an appearance. The gameplay featured missions inspired by the show, such as Cartman attempting to sneak into a Special Olympics game. One of the higher-ups working on the game was said to be unprofessional, and is a possible reason the project didn't end up finishing with Ubisoft, as this person was later fired. LEGO Technics Bionicle, also known as 
as Lego Bionicle The Legend of Matanui was a near-finished licensed game that wound up being canned at the last minute. It was first revealed in January 2001, with a PC version planned for the same year and a GameCube version in spring 2002. The GameCube release was the first to go, with the project being cancelled in its entirety shortly after. However, what was meant to be a GBA companion game, Lego Bionicle Quest for the Toa, did successfully release in 2001. As far as gameplay goes, Legend of Matanui would have had a similar structure to the Legend of Zelda games, with unlockable items granting access to previously restricted areas. The official reason for the game's cancellation has never been confirmed. One developer was told LEGO felt the game was of poor quality. Others said there was a shift in LEGO's management. Still, some think the game was cancelled so LEGO could pursue Argonaut Games' pitch for the franchise, a pitch that led to 2003's Bionicle the game. Recently, in February and April 2018, two builds of Legend of Matanui were leaked online. Fans have since attempted to use these builds to recreate the game as accurately as possible. This isn't the only canned LEGO game for the system. Though never officially announced, LEGO Racers 4 would have followed what developers considered the third LEGO Racers game, Drome Racers. Programmer at attention to detail, Simon Goodwin, said the game was cancelled after substantial development effort, and would have been more ambitious than Drome Racers. The entire game world would have been streamed from the DVD, allowing for a much larger play area than earlier LEGO titles and most console games at the time. Meanwhile, Bulletproof Monk was a game that, like the film, was based on Flypaper Press's comic book series of the same name. It was revealed in September 2002 to be published by Empire Interactive sometime around Christmas 2003 for consoles and PC. The game never made it to market though, as its developer, Mucky Foot, closed down before its release. Based on the Tremors movie series, Tremors the video game was announced in August 2002. Strangely, no images or videos of the game were shown when it was announced, despite the game being in development for the GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. Set in Perfection Nevada a few years after the first Tremors movie, players would take on the role of Burt Gummer, a survivalist featured throughout the franchise. The game was scheduled for release in fall 2003, but was quietly cancelled beforehand, likely due to its developers, Rock Solid Studios, going bankrupt. It's not all sad, though. Rock Solid Studios was later reborn as Avalanche Studios, creators of Just Cause. Another scrapped GameCube game based on a film came from the E.T. franchise. Despite E.T.'s terrible history with video games, a few developers wanted to give the alien another shot. E.T. the Extraterrestrial, The Search for Dragora, was a bizarre concept of a game. In it, a meteor crashes onto E.T.'s home planet, destroying its life-giving Dragora plants. E.T. and friends would search for seeds and attempt to cross-pollinate plants in order to recreate the elusive Dragora plant. A similar but different game was also planned for PS2 called E.T. the Extraterrestrial Return to the Green Planet. Unfortunately, developer Z2 was absorbed by Warthog Games in 2002. Meanwhile, publisher New Kid Co. went out of business in 2005. Collectively, these events put an end to this bizarre game's chances of release. Some of you may know BattleBots as an American TV show where remote-controlled robots compete in a robot combat tournament. Others might know it as a real-life company that also hosts robot competitions. Well, in 2002, a 3D game based on the show was in development for the GameCube and PlayStation 2. It was, funnily enough, also going to feature customizable robots fighting. While the 3D version of the game was cancelled, a 2D BattleBots game was ultimately released in 2003 by Majesco for the Game Boy Advance. Another TV-licensed game for the system was scrapped. Galador, Defenders of the Outer Dimension, was a platformer announced in May 2002 at E3. A PS2 version of the game was also planned, along with a 2D side-scroller for the GBA with the same concept. Players would take on the role of Nick Bluetooth, the hero 
hero of the outer dimension. He'd fight his way through four unique realms to rescue his friends from the evil tyrant Gorm. Of the games being developed, only the GBA game was actually released. Due to financial instability, the remaining Galador versions were cancelled and the team making the game were laid off. Games based on cartoons seemed to be popular during this time. Rocket Power Zero Gravity Zone would have been a spiritual successor to the skateboarding game Rocket Power Beach Bandit. It was in development during 2002 to 2003 for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox, but was never released. Then, in September 2009, Andrew Borman of P2P Online won an auction for an early alpha build of the game. He documented much of the build on his YouTube channel, preserving the developers' work on the game for history. In 2000, BAM Entertainment partnered with Cartoon Network to release games based on yet another cartoon license, The Powerpuff Girls. The Powerpuff Girls Shock of Ages was the last Powerpuff game to be announced by BAM, but it was never released. It's confirmed to have been in development during 2003. However, the last game BAM ever developed for Cartoon Network was Samurai Jack The Amulet of Time, released in 2003. Some believe Shock of Ages was cancelled due to licensing issues, or because the relationship between BAM and Cartoon Network went sour. It's also possible financial issues were to blame, as both BAM and the game's developer, Sonari Interactive, haven't made a game since 2005. In 2018, a former developer shared details about G.I. Joe Operation Ultra, a previously unknown title. It was being made by Hasbro and Radical Entertainment of The Simpsons Hit and Run and Crash of the Titans fame for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. According to the developer, the game would have featured 16 missions that broke down into four acts each. Based on the popular G.I. Joe toy line, it seems Hasbro got quite far in the design process for the game. Regardless, Radical Entertainment never fully started development. Another famous figurine or doll line also had a canned game on GameCube. Barbie Treasures in Time was a Barbie action-adventure game developed by Sierra and meant to be published by Vivendi Games. It was planned to release exclusively on GameCube in 2003. Players would have been able to join Barbie in her most exciting adventure ever, helping her travel through time, ancient towns, lagoons, shipwrecks, and forests to find lost treasures and unlock her way home. It also seemed to feature one of the more active versions of in-game Barbie, with her being able to flip, dive, and jump around obstacles. With a doll line just as popular, it's not surprising Bratz wanted to get in on that licensing money, perhaps a little too much. Bratz Formal Funk, alternatively known as Bratz Party Night, was in development in 2003. It was planned for the GameCube and PS2, but was never released due to what essentially amounts to a legal nightmare. In 2002, Ubisoft entered a licensing deal with MGA to publish Bratz video games. Not long after this, the popularity of the Bratz brand exploded. Now feeling unsatisfied with the deal, MGA tried to force a renegotiation of the license in 2003. When Ubisoft refused, MGA sued Ubisoft and took the license to other publishers. Ubisoft countersued, alleging MGA's termination of the license was invalid. The case was decided in Ubisoft's favor in 2008, and they were awarded $13.2 million for lost profits, damages, legal fees, and interest. As for formal funk, several of its ideas appear to have been reused in Bratz Rock Angels and Forever Diamonds. Last time, we touched on a few cancelled titles that Nintendo developed themselves or hope to publish, but there's still a few more to cover. As far as non-traditional approaches to controls go, Yoshi Touch & Go experienced something of a transformation during development. Yoshi Touch & Go originally started out as a puzzle platformer on GameCube, with Yoshi as the playable character protecting baby Mario. However, around the same time the Yoshi GameCube title was in production, other developers at Nintendo were experimenting with the idea of drawing as an integral gameplay element. During E3 2000, 
2004, Nintendo showcased this new drawing gameplay in a separate tech demo for the Nintendo DS called Balloon Trip. This demo featured players protecting Baby Mario, who was tied to balloons. The players had to draw lines of clouds in the sky to guide Baby Mario to safety. The demo was well received, so the decision was made to revamp the GameCube Yoshi title to feature this gameplay. Yoshi Touch and Go became a DS game, and the original puzzle platformer GameCube game was left behind. Another Nintendo title with experimental gameplay, Stage Debut, was announced at E3 in May of 2002, and intended for a 2004 release. Similar to Mario Artist's Talent Studio for the 64DD, in Stage Debut, players would take a picture of their face using the Game Boy Advance Game Eye. They would then be able to put their image on a 3D model and interact with the game's virtual world. Though an interesting concept with many applications, IGN noted at the time that there wasn't much to Stage Debut other than changing the actors and the scenarios. The game ended up indefinitely delayed, likely because the game eye was cancelled. Nevertheless, the game still made an impact. In a 2008 IGN interview, Shigeru Miyamoto said Stage Debut was an inspiration for the Wii's Me channel. On top of this, Tomodachi Collection later reused some of the ideas planned for Stage Debut. In news that'll disappoint Earthbound slash Mother fans everywhere, it recently came to light that there was a concept for an Earthbound sequel for GameCube that never got off the ground. In 2003, Yasuyuki Hone of Xenogear and Chrono Trigger fame had ideas for a GameCube sequel to Earthbound. Hone was able to pitch the project to Earthbound director Shigesato Itoi with the help of Satoru Iwata. Over the course of what was originally presented to Itoi as a lunch meeting, it slowly became apparent Iwata had arranged the meeting for the pitch. According to Hone, Itoi said, Iwata, you arranged this, didn't you? And the room went dead silent. Needless to say, Itoi wasn't interested in the sequel, but did praise the early game's crafted, fabric-based visual style. The pitch's ultimate failure can likely be attributed to the production of Mother 3, which lingered in development hell for almost a decade, but was revived for the GBA around this same time. While not a sequel, Factor 5's reboot of Pilot Wings was another game from a familiar franchise that ran into difficulty. The goal was an immersive open-world Pilot Wings game on the GameCube. Factor 5 experimented with head-tracking glasses that affected what was shown on screen in relation to the player's position, giving the illusion of depth within the display. Originally, the Pilot Wings reboot had a more serious tone, but it gradually shifted over development until it was more in line with the past Pilot Wing games. In time, development shifted to the Nintendo Wii, as Factor Factor 5 later made the project its own IP. It went through the names We Flight, We Fly, and finally We Fly before ultimately being scrapped. Nintendo is nothing if not thorough, and appears to have wanted titles of all genres on the GameCube. Nintendo Pennant Chase Baseball seems to have been conceived after 2K Sports acquired exclusive rights to release the MLB games. The agreement halted EA Sports' MVP Baseball series, which had released the majority of its entries for the GameCube. This would have left a hole in Nintendo's sports gaming catalog. As such, Nintendo Pennant Chase Baseball was likely being made so the GameCube could have a baseball title. When 2K announced their MLB 2K6 would release on the GameCube, Pennant Chase Baseball was delayed and then ultimately cancelled, likely due to its redundancy. Of course, Nintendo isn't the only company making games for the GameCube, and they certainly don't have a monopoly on failed games. From never being greenlit to bankruptcies and legal issues, there are many reasons games fail. The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse was a fairly unique game developed by 3DO. It would have had several playable characters, each with special weapons and unique abilities. Characters would have included a fallen priest and a young stripper. Stan Winston, who worked on practical effects for films like Jurassic Park, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and Aliens, would have been involved with the project. The game was essentially scrapped when the company went bankrupt in May 2003. In 
2004, the game's creator Michael Mendime said the IP was far from dead. However, nothing has been heard about the game since. Another interesting title was Sergeant Cruise. While originally meant to release on PC in 2002, Sergeant Cruise was later announced for GameCube and Xbox as a quarter one 2003 release. The game had an animated look similar to a Tex Avery cartoon. In it, the player starts out wearing only boxers. As they accrue clothing throughout the game, each new piece of Cruise's super armor gives him new abilities and artillery to fight the alien threat and save the world. Sergeant Cruise was meant to be a substantial game, with 30 missions across 15 stages, split-screen co-op, and a special mode where one player controlled the character's movement while the other controlled weapons, a surefire way to help siblings learn the value of cooperation. Then in the early 2000s, the game's developer Virgin Interactive went through a difficult period. The studio was eventually acquired by Titus Interactive, where it was rebranded Avalon Interactive. It was presumably during this time that Sergeant Cruz was cancelled. Monster Island was pitched in 2001 by Irrational Games as Rampage meets black and white creatures in a fully destructible environment. In it, players would take on the role of either a giant monster set on demolishing the city, or the authorities who protected it. Monsters racked up points climbing skyscrapers and eating humans, while the authorities attempted to stop them using several archetypal characters with different abilities such as the scientist, the girl, the engineer, the general, and the hero. With a living city and dynamic elements, the pitch was ambitious. In the end, the project was never greenlit. As far as ambition goes, though, Flux would be hard to beat. Flux was an experimental action platformer first revealed in April 1998, with a planned release on GameCube and PC. According to the game's developers, it would have been the first game to offer varying planes of gravity. Flux also had a unique mechanic wherein the player rotated the world along three axes to move through it and control the action. The idea was that when flipped, guard towers would become bridges and water mills would cause floods. The game's developers, 8-Cylinder Studios, approached several large companies in an attempt to publish the game, but appeared to never reach it deal to actually fund and publish it. Fans of Creature Labs and the Creatures series might remember Project Loki, but not for the game itself. According to a rumor, hidden within the Creatures games was said to be a secret adventure mode. Originally started as a joke by developers, the secret adventure mode eventually turned into Project Loki, a Creatures concept for the PS2, GameCube, and Xbox. Sadly, Creature Labs never found a publisher to fund development further than the initial prototype, and the game was scrapped. This wasn't the only game that didn't get far. L4 was a futuristic driving game being made around 1999 and 2000 for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. It was speculated to be a cyberpunk take on Driver. However, it's likely L42 never got past its concept phase, which is a shame. The game would have featured art by American designer and concept artist Sid Mead of Blade Runner and Tron fame. Another sci-fi-inspired title, Ion Runner, was a racing-on-rails shooter developed by Attention to Detail. Two complete levels of the game were programmed and demonstrated to many publishers. Unfortunately, a deal wasn't reached before the company's funding was pulled, and in August 2003, production came to a halt. Many in the industry had seen Ion Runner's demos and were reportedly surprised the project was never finished. Though never officially announced, the arcade-like racer Stunt Pigs was discovered in 2014 when game collectors found its documents on a disc that previously belonged to M4 LTD. While investigating, they found a game where players would drive around the city performing crazy stunts and collecting bonuses. According to a developer, 
Stunt Pigs was frantic and featured dark humor. It appears the game was canned when M4 failed to find a publisher. 12 Volt was also an arcade racer, first revealed in October 2004. The game was inspired by toy slot cars and would have been similar to Micro Machines. Players could race their tiny cars through houses and gardens. It was developed for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox, but there was also a GBA version planned, which would have been fairly different. It's unknown why this project was never released and how much was completed before it was canned. Another racing title was Backstage. This title was developed by Cara Space and was first revealed in 2003. Players became scooter rider Zack as he whizzed around an LA-like city performing different tasks like deliveries, taxi rides, collections, races, and even photography, all in an attempt to break into the film industry. One of its main features was its sophisticated traffic system. Zack never got his big break, and the game never saw daylight. Some may remember a 1990 MS-DOS racing game named Stunt Driver, in which players made their own tracks and raced them, either alone or with AI opponents. At some point, a new Stunt Driver was planned for the GameCube, and was even one of the earliest games announced for the system. It was also planned for PS2, but both versions were cancelled. Yet another driving game was the deceptively titled Knights, which wasn't a medieval fantasy game, but rather a combat car title. Developed by Eden Games and planned to be published by Atari, Knights would have released on GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. However, in May 2002, Eden Games was sold to Infogrames, and Knights vanished without a trace. Doomsday Rescue was one of the more unique car combat concepts out there, starting off with a deadly asteroid shower hurtling towards Earth. Humanity's only hope is to relocate to Mars via rockets within 24 hours. Players are in charge of this effort, transporting scientists, doctors, politicians, and a few ordinary people through riots and disasters to the safe haven of the escape rockets. If the player accomplishes all of this, they too will be whisked away from Earth to start a new life on Mars. Doomsday Rescue was in development by Beyond Games in 2002, but was cancelled along with its other games, presumably because the company went bankrupt. Although the GameCube had some standout horror titles, it could have had even more. Nightmare Creatures 3 was a survival horror game developed by Callisto for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox in 2002. The game's original concept involved a heroine exploring 19th century Prague as a human during the day and merging with a raven to transform into a beast by night. As the beast, she would battle the monsters of her occultist nemesis, Adam Crowley. Ubisoft obtained publishing rights, but before the game could be finished, Callisto went out of business. Ubisoft then took over over development. Reportedly, they threw out the previous concept and redesigned the game from the ground up. In 2004, an Ubisoft rep claimed the title hadn't been cancelled, but they've been quiet about the game ever since. Asylum was a first-person survival horror game being developed by Dark Black in 2002. Players would become a contestant in a TV game show that slowly transforms into a living nightmare. The game had its own physics engine that would bring destructible environments and ragdoll animations to the gameplay, complete with zombie limbs flying off when hit. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, Dark Black struggled to find a publisher and ran into financial difficulty. It closed down and lost the rights to Asylum, presumably to acclaim. It hasn't been heard of since. Crushed Baseball 2004 was a sports game with an over-the-top arcade style. It was scheduled for a March 2003 release, but was later cancelled due to BAM Entertainment being delisted from the NASDAQ in 2004. The game would have featured unusual characters with superhuman baseball-related abilities, and would have been released for GameCube and PS2. BAM went dormant in 
in 2005, but a somewhat different GBA version was made by Griptonite Games and published in 2004 by Summit Soft Entertainment. And then there was Extreme Pool. The game was developed for the GameCube, PS2, and PC. It was entirely finished, yet developers' graphic state for some reason struggled to find a publisher for it. It's a shame, as Extreme Pool featured a large set of background locations, including an inner-city basketball court, a plane cruising at 30,000 feet, a Caribbean yacht, a city rooftop bar, and a Japanese garden. It had several modes, with some supporting eight players at once. Another sports title was the boxing game by Climax, Title Defense. It boasted several technical achievements, including a full-on facial damage system and motion capture boxing animations that used 5,000 polygon models. It was inspired by Ready to Rumble Boxing and was planned to release on GameCube, PS2, Xbox, and PC. When it comes to other sports games, there unfortunately isn't much to be said about Ignition Entertainment's international golf and tennis. The title was announced for a May 15, 2005 release on both GameCube and PC, but when the date came around, the game was nowhere to be seen. NFL Quarterback Club 2003 was a licensed sports game being developed by Iguana Entertainment. It was meant to be published by Acclaim Entertainment, but never materialized. Some have speculated the game was cancelled due to EA's purchase of the NFL license. Upon closer investigation, however, EA didn't actually purchase the license until December 2004, which could point to other issues being involved. But there is one thing we know for sure. NFL Quarterback Club 2003 really did exist. One developer mentioned making a mini-game for the title on their LinkedIn. The action-adventure title Lady Sia was planned to get a GameCube sequel named Lady Sia 3D. The game's prototype was developed around 2002 and 2003 for the GameCube and PlayStation 2. It was a sequel to the original Lady Sia, which was released for the GBA in 2001. In 2003, its developer RFX Interactive closed down. The publisher, TDK Media Active, was acquired by Take-Two Interactive, thus putting an end to the project. Rather than a sequel, Extreme Force Grant City Anti-Crime was a third-person shooter spin-off of Namco's Dead to Rights games. It took place in the same city, but had a heavy focus on stealthy gameplay. In Extreme Force, players assume the role of an elite cop attempting to stop a terrorist plot before the events of the first Dead to Rights game. It was also known as Strike Force and First Strike Grant City Anti-Crime. After nearly a year of development, Namco canceled the game, citing time constraints as the reason. Picasso was a stealth thief title developed for the Dreamcast and first revealed in 2000. An extended development pushed it towards GameCube and PS2 instead. Despite this, only one playable build of the game is known to exist, with most of Picasso's gameplay ideas never implemented. Halfway through development, Picasso was radically changed. It shifted from its original idea into a stealth action hybrid in which two super rich people get into a bet about who could gather the most valuable art collection. The player assumed the role of a hired art thief competing against another thief to be the first to steal the art. Initial screenshots of the game show a male protagonist, though later screenshots show a female protagonist, indicating the main character may have been switched. However, Promethean designs went bust in the early 2000s, and the game was cancelled. Ricochet Rick, meanwhile, was originally revealed as a GameCube exclusive in 2001. It was later also developed for the Xbox. Had it been released, players would have piloted the skies around legendary landmarks like the Eiffel Tower and the Great Wall of China. The project was cancelled early in development, likely because it was also developed by Titus Interactive. You see, Titus had another GameCube game that met with a terrible fate. Revealed in 2002, Tankers Smoking Barrels would have featured six different playable anime-style tank commandos in a futuristic Japanese setting. Players choose a character and set about smashing barricades, crushing army and police vehicles, destroying buildings, and generally causing chaos. But you could also free hostages, so really, you're still a good guy. The game was meant to release in 2003, but never
never saw the light of day. Instead, Titus filed for bankruptcy on January 9, 2005, with 43.8 million US dollars of debt in tow. Don't Call Me Max was a fairly strange game that followed the story of Max, a kangaroo who runs away to join the circus his father once belonged to, only to discover it's been cursed by an evil ringmaster. Max must travel to magic realms to stop the ringmaster's curse, his only companion, a magical staff containing his father's spirit. This crazy game, developed by prolific publishing, never saw the light of day. But perhaps the most bizarre description of a game goes to Unity, which was described as a kaleidoscopic shooter. First revealed in 2000, 2003 to be published by Lionhead Studios, it was in development from early 2003 to late 2004 when its cancellation was officially announced. Both Jeff Minter, the game's developer, and Lionhead Studios cited the game's ambitious and experimental nature as the primary reason for the project's end. Peter Molyneux, Lionhead's co-founder, later added they believed the game wouldn't have finished on time. However, some of the game's technology may have later been reused for the game's Space Giraffe on Xbox 360 and PC, so Unity may live on in some form. Speaking of long development times, Armada 2 Star Command was in development for so long it was originally meant to be a Dreamcast game, a 3D space shoot-'em-up. It eventually began being developed for the GameCube and PS2 under several names, including Armada's Revenge and simply Armada 2. After repeated delays and redesigns, and after working for four years on the game with limited resources, Armada 2 was laid to rest. The game Pickles, meanwhile, barely had a chance to get made. Pickles initially started as a way for for Santa Cruz Games to test its developers' tools. The idea was to stack objects and characters without toppling them as enemies surrounded the tower and attacked in various ways. Pickles may evolved into Stackers, a similar demo that never developed further. Safari Joe The Dark Continent was announced in April 2002 for GameCube and planned to be shown at E3. The game would have been published by Titus and was later revealed to be multi-platform. However, in early 2003, the game's website began directing users to Titus's website. The only hint to the fact Safari Joe the Dark Continent was cancelled. In fact, many games seemed to just vanish mysteriously. Trium Planeta was developed by F4 in the early 2000s. It was originally in development for the GameCube and PC, and seemed to take cues from games like Super Smash Bros. and Power Stone, with action-adventure overtones. Trium Planeta was ultimately cancelled in 2005. Another game by F4, Castle Castle, was a real-time strategy tower defense game speculated to be a continuation of Pocket Castle, a previous F4 prototype. Castle Castle was never released. Street Kings, was a three-on-three -three basketball game, developed and meant to be published by Konami. Players would have started out as a hobbyist basketball player, at length ascending to become an all-star. While it was announced in early 2003 for GameCube and PlayStation 2, it was quietly cancelled the same year for reasons unknown. The ill-fated Kid Ninja Spirit of the Dragon was developed by Asylum Entertainment, originally meant for release for the GameCube, PS2, and Xbox in 2003. The project was scrapped, but the game was later revived, this time for development for the Wii. This game, too, was scrapped, leaving the spirit of the dragon a simple ghost. Another cancellation was Savage Safari Hunt, a hunting game announced for GameCube, PS2, and PC in 2004. In it, players would explore African jungles where dinosaur-like monsters reigned. Players could hunt 20 beasts across 10 missions with 10 weapons and other survival gear. The game had a running prototype, but Savage Safari Hunt was mysteriously cancelled. Both developer Corsoft and publisher Crave Entertainment continued to make 
games for many years after the expected release in 2005, making this a bit of a mystery. Another game that would have been interesting to see was Dead Rush, which was announced at E3 2004 with a 2005 release date. In it, an amnesiac named Jake must discover why the town of Eastport is riddled with zombies after an earthquake destroys most of humanity. Rather ambitiously, the devs wanted the game to have only a single loading screen on boot up. Afterwards, it would never load again, meaning it would have had continuous gameplay without pauses. This is even more impressive as Jake would have been able to drive vehicles around town and make new ones out of parts. Perhaps it's less surprising then that Dead Rush was cancelled. Reportedly, it wasn't turning out how the developers hoped. Pterosaur Dawn of Destruction was being developed for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox by Atomic Planet in 2003. In it, players took control of a pterosaur, leading other dinosaurs to safety as the world was ending. Players would learn about the different dinosaurs, figuring out which dinosaurs were the most vulnerable, and how to go about saving them. Pterosaur Dawn of Destruction was never released, for unknown reasons. It's likely Atomic Planet was unable to find a publisher for the game. On the 25th of February 2009, Atomic Planet went into to administration and ultimately closed its doors. The developer Atomic Planet had three other games cancelled, all for unknown reasons. In development for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox in 2003, NAM Tour of Duty was a first-person shooter where players took command of an entire platoon of soldiers. The game would have featured fierce battles diligently recreated from historic accounts of the 1968 Tet Offensive. NAM Tour of Duty wasn't released and hasn't been heard of since. The second Atomic Planet game, Ace Squadron, was an on rails shooter set in World War II. It featured various arcade-style air combat missions and was in development for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. It's unknown as to why the game was cancelled, but it's likely the screenshots shown from the game were pre-rendered mock-ups, implying the game didn't get too far in development. The third Atomic Planet game, Tornado Alley, was also in development around 2002-2003 for GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. In it, players would get to take control of a tornado, doing as much damage as possible to its surroundings while following the contours of the landscape, watching for thermals, and building the tornado's power with the proper blend of warm and cold air. It was planned for release in 2004, and similar to NAM Tour of Duty, it isn't really known why it was cancelled. Atomic Planet wasn't the only studio facing issues, however. The previously mentioned studio Dark Black was working on Wrecking Crew in 2002, which was described as a mix between Blast Core, Power Stone, and Bomberman. Players would control a team of demolition experts whose goal was to accomplish their mission's tasks and destroy everything in their path while doing it. It would have been released on GameCube, PS2, and Xbox, but never surfaced. After the release of the cult classic Metal Arms glitch in the systems, Swing and Ape Studios began work on its sequel. Metal Arms 2 aimed to resolve the cliffhanger from the first game. However, work on the title ceased when Swing and Ape were presented with an offer they couldn't refuse. They were contacted by Blizzard to work on StarCraft Ghost. As Swing and Ape was a small team, they focused all their efforts on Ghost and ended up up scrapping Metal Arms 2. StarCraft Ghost was meant to be a third-person shooter that let players walk through and experience the StarCraft universe firsthand. It was set four years after the conclusion of StarCraft Brood War and featured the character Nova investigating a military conspiracy. Not much is known about the game's storyline, but a novel named StarCraft Ghost Nova was released in 2006 covering Nova's backstory. The game was originally announced in 2002 to be developed by Nihilistic Software for the GameCube, Xbox, and PS2 before Swing and Ape Studios took over development. Ghost's GameCube version was cancelled shortly after in 2005, and production on the game has been on indefinite hiatus since March 2006.
Did you also know that a sequel to Super Mario 64 and a Pokemon RPG were planned for the N64 but cancelled? For more insight, watch our video on cancelled N64 games.